This world is, is not our home. And the more we see it as such, the better off you, you and I will be. The more we see ourselves as exiles, the less we will attempt to nest here in this world, as if this is all there is, the less we will seek to accommodate our culture, to capitulate, to surrender to it, to cease to resist its ways as if you and I as believers in Christ can ever be friends with this world. Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. So you see, the Lord wants us, you and me, to make it through this world well on our way to the next. And so he comes to our aid so that your faith, so that my faith may not fail. And I pray that as we work through this letter of 1 Peter, that the Lord will strengthen you, that the Lord will strengthen me and our faith, that we will have unfailing faith in a culture that is increasingly hostile to that faith, a culture that seeks to sift you and me like wheat. I know this doesn't sound very happy, <laughs> lighthearted, positive, but you know what? It is absolutely necessary. And I am more sure of my calling now than I have ever been in my life. And that is to prepare us to be faithful, to prepare us to be devoted disciples, followers of Christ in this world. And so I have called this series Sure Hope Until We're Home. Sure Hope Until We're Home. And that's what we need. Hope that's sure. And that's what God gives us through His Son, Jesus Christ, and through His Word. Until we are home in heaven. Listen, listen. Because we have Christ, and because Christ has us, you and I have sure hope until we're home. Is that good news? That's what we're going to talk about, not only this morning, but throughout this letter. So I'm going to ask you now, if you have your copy of Scripture with you, to take it and turn very near to the end of the New Testament, to the first letter of Peter. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the pew in front of you. But when you found your place, I'm going to ask you to stand so that we might hear, read together, the Word of God. First Peter chapter 1, reading this morning only the first two verses. This is the word of the Lord. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Let's pray. 
Father, we do ask that now. Multiply your grace to us as we come to your word. Teach us more and more what your grace is and how to live by it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So the question is, how are we going to survive our exile in this world, in this culture? And, and not only just survive, but to live well as exiles, to live radiant lives, shining lives, loving lives, joyful lives in a dark world that is not our home. Well, the first thing we have to do is put first things first. And in order to put first things first this morning, we actually have to go to the end of this letter that Peter writes. So if you still have your Bible open, turn to the last chapter in the book and look at almost the very last verse, verse 12. This is what Peter writes. I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Peter wrote this letter, all of it for the express purpose that people, you and I, would know what grace is and how to stand firm in it in this world. Grace is the first thing. Grace is the foundation. R.C. Sproul writes this very simply. The essence of theology is grace. The essence of theology is grace. Peter's going to make many references to suffering in this world, in this letter. He's going to call you and me to live lives of holiness and purity. He's going to call us to live lives of submission to Christ, to the authorities, to one another in our homes. If we're going to do any of that, any of that, we must have the grace of God. True grace, Peter calls it. The genuine grace, the real article. And so by calling it that, by implication, from Peter's observation... From Peter's experience in his own life, there's a false grace. Or at least there's a false understanding of what grace is and abuse of it. Like the narcissistic kind of grace about which we read in Romans chapter 6. Which concludes that since the gospel is all about grace, then we should sin more in order that God can give us more grace. No, That's not what grace is. True grace is more what we read about in Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting, that's us, waiting exiles, for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So here is true grace. Grace to live self-controlled, godly lives while we are exiled in an ungodly world. True grace, simply put, if we can simply put grace in any way, it's the kindness of God 
the kindness of God funneled to you and me through Jesus Christ. The kindness of God funneled to us through Jesus Christ. And it's vitally important to understand that true grace is something that we don't deserve. It's something that we can never earn. God just gives it to us in Jesus. We think about the riches of God's grace. We can just think of that as all the good things that makes God, God. God is good. Whatever makes him up, those are good things. Things like light and love, mercy and compassion. Things that are pure and excellent and lovely. Those things make God, God. And those are the things that he gives to us because we need them to live well in this world. So so you and I have to note this from the very beginning. It's foundational. The ability, your ability and my ability to survive, and not only to survive, but to live well as exiles in this world, and to actually make a difference for Jesus' sake as we pass through this world on our way to the next That ability is not going to come from inside you and me, from some hidden strength that we have. The hope that you need when you wake up every morning to make it through that day, it's not going to come from some untapped source that you discover in yourself. It's only going to come to you and me through the grace of God. We've already heard the Apostle Paul this morning. During our look at God's will, by the grace of God, by the grace of God, I am what I am. So the question is, what do you want to be? Really, honestly, who do you want to be in this world? God's grace is for those who want to live their exile well, in faith and not in fear, in radiant light and not hiding in the shadows, not blending in but standing out as a light. That's what God has called us to be. Blameless of the world's ways, not guilty of them. And so have hope because by God's grace, you can be that person and you can live that way. And this is how I know how. Look again in verse 1. Just three words. Now you think, we're never going to get through 1 Peter. Yes, we will. Three words. These, Peter and Apostle. Peter and Apostle. How do we take these words? Some might take them as a proud declaration. Spoken by a self-exalted man with a pointy hat on his head and a ring on his finger that he requires those who come to his presence to kiss out of reverence. That's how some people view Peter. I don't hear pride when I read these words. I hear amazement. Peter, an apostle. And I picture Peter with a reed pen in his hand. And he's bent over his parchment. Or perhaps he's dictating to Sylvanus. And I picture him stopping after these three words. I am an apostle. Un, 
believable. An apostle. Not the apostle. Not the best apostle. Not the most important apostle. But yes, an apostle. Specially called by Jesus. Commissioned by him. Sent out by him with his authority to speak his word. The word of God in the flesh. Did Peter ever get used to that? Or was he always overwhelmed that the grace of God called him? By the grace of God who made him who he was. You know, Peter knows his own story. Like, you know your story, I know mine. Peter's name wasn't always Peter. That's not the name his parents gave him. His mother never said, Peter, stop picking on your little brother. His father said, Peter, go pull the boat in. His little brother Andrew never said, Peter, come and help me mend the nets. No, his name was Simon. But then one day, suddenly, unexpectedly, when he wasn't seeking it, Simon met Jesus. And everything changed, including his name. John describes the scene. Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And Jesus called Peter. He said, Follow me. Named by Jesus, called by Jesus, all out of sheer grace. We can't recreate the life of Peter before Jesus called him and named him. As far as his character is concerned, we know what his career was. He was a fisherman, but not his character. We don't need to make Peter the most vile of sinners. Neither do we need to try to make him, and this is what we most often do, a good man with a noble character. Because if we do either one of these things, we expose ourselves and we show how difficult it is for us to truly wrap our minds around what grace really is. Because we're bent on finding some reason why Jesus chose Peter. Some goodness in him. Some quality in him to make him be the one that Jesus chose. But you want to know the truth? Here's the truth. It doesn't matter very much what we were like before we came to Christ, before Christ called us to himself. It doesn't matter. It's, it's all relative. And you know why? Here's why. Because dead is dead. Dead is not a little bit alive. Dead is dead. And we all share equally in that spiritual death. Scripture does not equivocate or categorize or make exceptions. Ephesians 2 says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. All of us were dead. We also share equally in that there was nothing in us, in our deadness, to merit God's grace that brought us to life. Again, Scripture doesn't equivocate or categorize or make exceptions. Romans chapter 3. 
None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Is that good news? This is the grace of God at work in this world. In a person like Peter and in people like you and me. So come on, come on. Have hope. He called you by his grace. But then, there's that life after he called us, isn't there? Day after day, year after year, we have to live as believers in Christ. And sometimes that drains us of our hope because somehow after Jesus calls us we have this idea that then we are supposed to take over to perform well for him on our own but listen that is not grace and it didn't work out very well for Peter Peter had faith he got out of the boat He walked on the water, his eyes fixed on Jesus, but then he looked away, didn't he? And what happened? He began to sink. But Jesus reached out his hand, and he took Peter, and he caught him, and he didn't let him go. And he didn't make Peter suffer for a while for his unfaithfulness. That's grace. Peter made a bold confession. When Jesus asked, who do you say I am? Peter responded, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But then immediately, when Jesus told the disciples his mission, why he had come. When he told them that he had to die and that he would be raised in three days, Peter said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus replied to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And so in that moment, Peter wasn't a rock, certainly not the rock on whom the church is purportedly built. In that moment, he became not a rock, but a stumbling stone, a hindrance to the plan of God. And in that moment, he was not even called by the name that Jesus had given him, Peter, and said he was called Satan. But then what happened? God took Peter and James and John up on that mountain. And there Jesus was transformed before their eyes. And in that moment, Jesus showed them his glory. That's the grace of God. On the last night of his life, Jesus said to the disciples, You will all fall away because of me this night. And Peter said, though they all 
fall away because of you, I never will fall away. Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. But he did. He denied Jesus three times. And what did Jesus do? He later met Peter on the beach. And he walked with him. And he asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus restored him. And he said, Peter, feed my sheep. That's the unmerited grace of the Lord. Even when Peter was a great disciple, he slipped. He believed the gospel was not for everybody. It was only for the Jews. And Jesus literally had to give him a dream. And he literally had to send somebody to knock on his door to take Peter to the home of Cornelius the Gentile so he could share the good news of the gospel with them. And even after that, Peter turned again from grace. He was pressured, shamed into believing that grace was too good to be true, and it is. Shamed into believing that in addition to the grace of God, you had to obey all the law. Perfect obedience. And when the Apostle Paul opposed him, Peter came back to his senses. But I wonder if in that moment, Peter wanted to turn in his apostle badge. I wonder if he thought, how can I go on? How can I continue to be an apostle even when I have turned from the gospel? How many times do you ask yourself that question? How can I continue to call myself a Christian, a believer in Christ, when I dot, dot, dot? The answer is this. Simply grace. True grace. The unmerited kindness of God toward you and toward me in Christ. And I just say all this because I don't hear pride. When I read these words of Peter, again, I hear amazement. Peter's own life story throughout his life prevents him from wearing that hat. He knocks it off his head. He takes that ring off his finger and he throws it into the dirt. And I like to think if Peter were sitting here, and I don't know this, but I like to think if he were sitting here listening to the sermon, that he would not say, oh, how dare you? I like to think that Peter would say, preach it, brother. Don't let anyone take the spotlight from Christ. Don't let anyone take the power of his transforming grace from him. I am what I am by the grace of God. Peter had to live as an exile in a world that tempted him to pride. It tempted him to power. It tempted him to demand his own way, to seek what he wanted, just like the world tempts you and me to the same things. But there was the grace of the Lord to reach out his hand and draw Peter out of the waves. So these three words, Peter and apostle, are evidence of the hope that we have in the power of the grace of God to never give up on those he calls. Is that good news? To take us by the hand 
in this world in which we are exiles, when we begin to sink, when we forget that we are exiles, and when we start living like we're natives, grace, that's the foundation. And that's Peter's word to us. Look at the end of verse 2 and we're done. Look what Peter writes there. May grace be multiplied to you. It's not surprising that he writes that when we think about his life, is it? Because Peter knows that grace was multiplied to him over and over again. That's how he made it through this life as an exile and on to his true home. Grace multiplied. One by one times one is one. Two times two is two. Four times four is 16. 16 times 16 is 256. And I know that because I have a calculator. But it's multiplied grace. It's grace not stopping. Grace not ceasing. Grace not stagnating. Grace multiplied to you and to me. More and more and more. You and I need grace. If we are to live well as exiles in this world. And the good news is that in Christ we have it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the grace that you give to us. Thank you that we don't, you give it though we don't deserve it. Thank you, Lord, that you don't wait for us to look for you or listen for you. You love us. You come to us quite unexpectedly. Thank you for your call on our lives. Now we pray that you would help us live out that call dependent on your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.